do me a favor. In fact, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Please underestimate me. I suggest you use these last two days of peace to prepare for war. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Salutations, Marks. It's your boy, Bobby. That bearded kid, a.k.a. Young Facial Hair, a.k.a. I didn't come to play. I came to bring the pain. Say my name, Alexa Bish. <laughs> and welcome to another installment of Babble Mania, the podcast where we ramble about professional wrestling. We keep it raw. We have the power. We bring the dynamite. And if you disagree, you just may feel the smackdown. Now, let's get hairy. Oh yes, ladies and gentlemen, you know how it goes when the bell rings, we talk about them things. This is the November 16th edition of Monday Night Raw. This is the Survivor Series go-home episode of Raw, and boy, howdy, was it wonderful. The show kicks off with Drew McIntyre looking confident and peppy from his visit to SmackDown. Uh, He talks about what he's thankful for, fittingly, because, you know, the holiday that is upon us. And he gives virtual smooches to all of his friends and his family and his fans and even the Thunderdome. There's this cool moment where the camera is like down really low and it's almost like a fisheye lens. And he's just standing there in the middle and he's asking for everybody in the Thunderdome to like go crazy. It was, it was you know, very, very good face uh, value. <laughs> I don't know why I said it that way. Uh, but then he kind of shifts energies and focuses on Roman Reigns. He says that... Roman's head is up his own ass, and at Survivor Series, he's going to claymore him back down to Earth. Um, At this point, he is then interrupted by Randy on the Tron, who basically goes on to talk about his history in the WWE, and how he's been fined, and how he's broken rules, and how he's done all of this bad stuff that should have gotten him either suspended or fired, and it didn't. He basically says, despite all of that, I am still here, and I am still your 14-time WWE champion, and it's all because I am, quote, the greatest wrestler ever, end quote. Well, Drew confidently responds to this, basically just brushes it off, just, you know, swipes the dirt off of his shoulder and says, oh, well, whatever, I'll see you later on tonight, Randy, and he's interrupted by The Miz and Morrison. They make their way down to the ring, and basically announced that they will be sitting ringside for Drew's match with Randy. Um, Kind of teasing about, you know, a potential cash-in if it were to happen. Uh, The Miz kind of goes on to say that, like, everybody in this equation is, like, getting it. He says that Bray is too afraid to leave the funhouse. He says that Randy is afraid of showing his feelings to everybody. And then he says, but Drew... You're the one who doesn't see what's going on. Uh, Drew kind of backs them out of the ring in intimidating fashion, and Miz says one last thing. He says that whether Drew loses or wins this match, he will be the one laughing all the way to the bank. This segment did a lot lot for me. Um, I really like how confident and how unbelievably backed Drew McIntyre feels in this moment. Um, 
I love that Randy is kind of giving us maybe like illusions of grandeur, you know? Like he's he's so worried and targeted, but he's not expressing it, so therefore he's kind of like covering up his flaws with, you know, make like he's he's a turd right now and he's painting himself gold because he doesn't want people to see the turd that he is. <laughs> um I even liked Miz and Morrison, you know, and like what they said and I don't know, this whole segment was really great to me. It genuinely made me concerned about what we may see at the end of the show and at Survivor Series. Uh, Speaking of, at the end of this episode, after the SmackDown discussion, I will be talking about my Survivor Series uh, predictions. Because if you are listening to this the day that it drops, Survivor Series is tonight. Um... I'm super duper excited. Uh, This whole Drew McIntyre situation has been like festering in the back of my mind since SmackDown. It's just, it's absolutely wild. Because, you know what? I'm going to save this for later on. We'll talk about it here in a little while. Let's move on to the first match of the night, which is a six-man tag team match. It is the women's tag team champions, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler with Lana uh, versus... Oscar, Mandy Rose, and Dana Brooke. Now, before everyone came out, before everyone's entrances hit, uh, Lana told Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler that she called for this match so they could maybe like learn how to be a team, so she could show that she's like a team player. Um, and essentially, they just tell her that she sucks and that she is not allowed to tag in at all during this match. Just furthering the bullying. Uh, that they've been doing to her for the past nine weeks. Um, however, during the match, Asuka is tied up in Shayna's arms, and it appears that Shayna could possibly win the match with this submission. Well, Shayna kind of backs into the ropes, and Lana tags herself in, defies them, breaks the rules, slaps Shayna on the shoulder. She gets in the ring, and... Like, little to no fight, and then she's tapped out by Asuka. And the entire time, Nia Jax is, like, on the apron screaming things like, no, she sucks, no, we're going to lose now, no. It's it's really, like, authentic, childish bullying. <laughs> and it's it's kind of good, to be completely honest. Um, afterwards, she's thrown out of the ring by Shayna Baszler. Nia Jax has taken the uh, the covering off the announcement table. We all know what's about to go down. And then Nia Jax just kind of stands over Lana, and she says, "You know what? I'm proud of you. You you showed a lot of bravery tonight. I'm 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 not gonna do it. Welcome welcome to team to team Raw." And she holds her hand out, and then Lana stands up, and Nia Jax goes, "Psych!" picks her up, puts her through the announce table for a now <clears throat> for a ninth time. I really, really thought that with Survivor Series being so close, literally being like up next for Monday Night Raw, that maybe we would see some type of story arc. But I guess not. I'm assuming that because of that, something big is going to happen at Survivor Series involving this storyline. That's that's what I'm assuming. Because we didn't get some crazy pitch on this episode of Raw, we're probably going to get that crazy pitch at Survivor Series. Um, once again, this roots his head later on in the night. We'll get onto it. 
uh, we move on to a little bit of a backstage segment uh, where AJ Styles is once again trying to rally his fellow team members. Uh, he gives them all red Raw t-shirts and tells them that tonight, as a team-building exercise, they will be facing retribution. Yes, you heard that correctly. Um, after everyone walks away, we get this funny moment where Riddle comes back in the frame and tells AJ that he has given Giant Jimmy a nickname. And AJ tells him no. He's like, don't don't talk to him, don't look at him, don't do any of that stuff, don't be giving him nicknames, just leave. And Riddle's like, alright, I'll see you later, man. And then he looks at the giant guy, and he's like, see you later, Almus. He, he called him Almus. I, I guess that's his name. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but I'm pretty sure it was Almus. And at this point, AJ looks at him, and he says, hey, have you been talking to Riddle? I didn't. I, can you even speak English? And that's when Giant Jimmy goes, of course I can. And then AJ just looks confused and goes, well, why have you never told me? And Giant Jimmy goes, because you never asked. <laughs> I just, I thought it was really, really funny. And I like that now there's a little bit of character to Giant Jimmy. You know, just, yes, he's a giant guy and he's this imposing view of a skyscraper. But I like that he has a little bit of pizzazz to him now. So we'll just have to see where that goes. Uh, rooting its head. As I said a moment ago, after the six-man tag team match that we just witnessed, Dana is in the back outside of a trainer's room. During the six-man tag, Shayna Baszler did her little arm-breaky, foldy thingamajig to Mandy Rose, and Mandy Rose sold it as if something very, very bad had happened. Well, in this little backstage segment, we find out uh, that Dana like thinks that it's, it's, it's bad. She's like... Something is wrong. I don't know why Shayna would do that. Um, not good. No bueno. She's frustrated. But before she can really express everything, she is attacked from behind by reckoning. Excuse me? Question mark? Where is this going to go? I have no idea. For me, this makes Nia Jax and Shayna look even more like worse. And by worse, I mean hillish. I don't mean bad. I mean like good bad. <laughs> So, like, why why would Shayna do something so terrible to her fellow teammate just days away from Survivor Series? Because she's a bully, obviously. So, I don't know. Once again, it's going to root its ugly head. Well, not ugly head. It's kind of cute head. Once again, it's going to root its ugly head later, and we'll talk about it here in a little while. Right now, we're going to move on to this week's episode of Firefly Funhouse. Yes, last week... I don't think we got an episode of Firefly Funhouse. Uh, last week, there really wasn't that much going on in the world of Alexa Bliss and Bray Wyatt and The Fiend. There was, you know, little hints and tidbits and some small segments. But this week, we get a whole last episode of Firefly Funhouse. Bray pretty much starts the episode off by talking about The Miz. And he says that Miz is just like everybody else in Hollywood. Um, he even brings up, like, Lizard overlords and like sacrificing your children to them it was wild <laughs> and then he challenges the Miz to a match you know he's like you, you've been rude so I'm challenging you to a match and if I have to say it again my bad side is going to come out and like you know it gets real dark and his eyes get real big and wide like you know like they do when he's angry and we get this glorious montage of Bray proving that he is ready for the match. We get this 
uh, agility test where he's like punching Mercy and Huskus as they try to sneak up on him. We get this, uh, <laughs> this like great, great Bruce Lee moment where he's just like shouting at the top of his lungs into the camera. Uh, we get a spelling bee where Alexa asks him to spell the word jackass, and he spells it M-I-Z. I thought that was great. And we get an accuracy test that basically takes the life of Ramblin' Rabbit. Um, he's he's on a dartboard, and he's got an apple on his head, and he asks Bray if it's safe. And, you know, Bray kind of throws it, and it hits him in the chest, and he's like, bro, I thought we were friends. And then he dies, and then Bray says, bullseye, and then Alexa goes, more like, rabbit's heart and then they just laugh maniacally it was it was so weird it was so wacky it was perfect like there has never been a bad episode of firefly funhouse it is always the highlight of my evening while watching monday night raw but it gets better and we will talk about that in a moment right now we're going to move on to our second match of the night the new day defending their raw tag team titles against cedric alexander and shelton benjamin of the hurt business now after their loss to the Hurt Business, what was it, two weeks ago? Or was it last week? I think it was last week. I was really, really hoping that they could rally and kind of overcome the Hurt Business. Because at this point, they are looking at the Hurt Business as a threat. Uh, but they are also very good at realizing that they need to be better. And that's exactly what they are going to do as they step into this match. Um, and the, the main reason for me, you know, pulling for the new day, I have, I have a few, first of all, I kind of stated it the last time I talked about this, the new day has left really, really big shoes for anyone to fill who comes along and takes their titles away from them, like gigantic shoes. And personally right now, although I think the hurt business is doing very, very well, I don't think that they're big enough to fill the shoes yet. I think we need to see the Hurt Business get better and better and bigger and bigger. And then, then they can maybe hop into the shoes that the New Day will leave behind. Because right now, they are not on the same level as the New Day. And I think until then, the Hurt Business just needs to kind of keep building up their repertoire. Um, the other reason is because I really want to see the New Day versus the Street Profits. I don't want to see Hurt Business versus the Street Profits. I want to see the New Day versus the Street Profits. That sounds like it's going to be absolutely banging. So that's what I was looking forward to when this match started. This match was very good. Really superb tag team wrestling from two teams who really conveyed that they wanted to win. The New Day conveyed that they have to win because they are the New Day, they have a reputation to uphold, and they have an ale to serve to the Street Profits. The Hurt Business conveyed that the that they really, really wanted to win to solidify their badassery in the company. Um, the last few moments of the match were awesome. We saw a brain buster delivered to Kofi Kingston uh, from Cedric Alexander. He kicked out. Uh, Shelton ends up getting involved. He gets uh, trouble in paradise on the apron. He goes out of the ring, and then we get the, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's the New Day's finishing move where Kofi holds 
the the opponent, and then Xavier jumps from the top rope with that elbow drop, and it throws him backwards, and Cedric Alexander sold it very well, obviously, and the New Day retains, and they get a win that I honestly did not think was going to happen for a while, because this match did a very good job of making me think that the New Day was actually about to lose, um, and that's all because of the shocking victory that the Hurt Business got over them a while back, so this was a great match, tugged on my heartstrings, um, pulled the emotion out of me, in my opinion, probably match of the night, if I'm being completely honest, and I, kn I know, okay, hmm. hold on, let me back up for a second, at this point in time, I'm going to say that this is match of the night, but that might change later on in the episode, when I determine what match of the week is, so, yeah, all good things, I get to see them versus the Street Profits. I am a happy, happy person. Now, we move on to the match that I've been curious about since AJ Styles said it. The men's Raw Survivor Series team versus Retribution. Now, right from the jump, I had no idea how this was going to go. Personally, I did not think that it was a step in the right direction uh, because Retribution made sense last week. And I don't know if this week would make sense if they lost. Because from my perspective, when this match was announced and when this match started to happen, for me, I thought that Raw would get along and they would beat Retribution. And after the showing from Retribution last week that really pulled me back into their angle, I don't think them losing again would be a good idea. So... I didn't know how they were going to do this. Uh, the men's team like needs to look cohesive going into Survivor Series, but not at the sacrifice of a team that already has almost too much to prove. So, I don't know. It was, it was very conflicting before the match even started. But when the match happened, I was very, very satisfied with how they did this. Uh, in my opinion, it was handled... The best way that they could have handled it. And it, the match was quite good, to be honest. Um, for just a few moments, Team Raw looks like they're a cohesive unit. AJ Styles is pumped. Uh, they look like they're about to do it and get the much-needed win to, like, solidify them as a team. But then disaster strikes and pride gets in the way. Sheamus tags himself in on Keith. Before he can hit the brogue kick, Braun tags himself in on Sheamus. Before he can hit the power slam, Riddle tags himself in, and this causes Braun to get upset and push Riddle on his ass like a little child. It was kind of funny. Riddle gets up, gets in Braun's face, and that is when Mustafa Ali pushes Riddle into Braun, who hits Keith, who's on the apron. Keith falls. Braun's down. Mustafa Ali rolls up Riddle, and gets a sneaky victory because Team Raw cannot get along. And that, to me, is the way that this should have happened. I could not think of a perfect outcome for this match when it comes to like the story of both of these teams. But this was the perfect outcome, in my opinion. This makes the Raw 
men's Survivor Series team drama continue. It causes the plot to thicken. And it doesn't make them look too bad because they couldn't get along anyways. So it makes sense for Retribution. Retribution didn't beat them cleanly. They didn't beat a cohesive team of insane athletes and great wrestlers. They beat a team of people who can't get along at the moment. So Retribution doesn't lose, which means they don't look bad again. And I don't know. It just it all worked out. It was a great, great creative decision. You know, like Retribution, they don't need to look bad again. They just can't. And the fact that the drama is going to carry into Survivor Series for the men's team, I think that's going to add to the match. I think it's going to add a little bit of excitement. So, great creative decision. We move on to a small backstage segment where Jeff Hardy is irate after finding these flyers all over the back that were obviously created by Elias. Basically, it's Elias you know, saying, call this number if you have any information on the man who hit me six months ago. Also, it was Jeff Hardy who did this. Here's his picture, yada, yada, yada. Jeff is pissed. Uh, Jeff finds his way into Elias' locker room, and that is where he confronts him. And then we see a side of Jeff Hardy that, honestly, I feel like I've never seen before. Because, you know, Jeff Hardy has always been kind of, you know, chillaxed. And even when he's intense, it's never been like like super intense, like groundbreaking, I guess you could say. But like in this very moment, we had a very angry, very intense Jeff Hardy that almost like scared me. Like I was genuinely aware that there's a possibility that Elias might be actually frustrated with what is being done to him right now. Because Jeff throws him in the corner of the lockers and then pins him up against the wall and just grabs his beard. And it kind of looks like Elias is like not having it. He's like kind of like raking at his hands and almost like he's trying to get Jeff to stop doing it so hard. <laughs> I don't know. But I thought it was great. It was fantastic. Um, he tells him that if he doesn't stop accusing him of something that he didn't do, he is going to be guilty of something that he did do. And I thought that was fire. So Jeff and Elias is obviously still a feud that is going on. I don't know if and when they're going to get another match, but I think we might be starting to see, hopefully, hopefully, a side of Jeff that is a lot more intense and a lot more dastardly because I really, really like this intense, angry Jeff. And I I just, I want to see more of that. Now, we move on to the next match of the night. And this from this moment on, this whole segment was my favorite moment of Monday Night Raw. The next match of the night is The Miz versus Bray Wyatt. Not The Fiend. Bray Wyatt, happy-go-lucky, firefly, funhouse Bray Wyatt. Miz comes down to the ring and basically tries to convince Bray that this match doesn't need to happen and that their past is water under the bridge. He brings up what him and Bray went through, uh, you know, what, last year? Where Bray kind of like tormented Maurice and their daughter and Miz found that creepy doll in the ring, you know, just stuff that happened to him and he says you know it's all water underneath the bridge so we can just forget about that right and that's when Alexa comes out and by the way Alexa got a new theme and we actually got to hear it like in action when she came out bro it smacks it is so good 
I just I can't get over how awesome it was. Very very cool entrance theme, and she 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 has a microphone and she just looks at the Miz, and she she says it plain and plain and simple. She says, "He says no," and that's when Nikki Cross runs out from behind Alexa and spins her around and basically just starts talking to her and telling her that she needs to get away from Bray and she doesn't like what she's become and she's panicking and she's like, he's he's bad news. You have to get away from him because this isn't good. None of this is good. And then for one moment, Alexa acts as if she's like snapped out of it and she's like, oh my God, Nikki. Oh my God. And then she just slaps the shit out of Nikki Cross. Slaps the life out of her. And then they get into it. And officials come out and they're splitting them up. And from this moment on, there's there's one moment. Adam Pierce is holding Alexa Bliss by the waist. And Alexa Bliss is kicking and screaming, trying her best to get loose so she can get her hands on Nikki Cross. From the moment that Bray Wyatt's music hits, the Firefly Funhouse theme, things are insane from this moment on. As soon as Bray's music hits... Alexa's complexion just completely changes. She goes from angry, pissed off, like cat-like small lady (laughs) trying to kick and scream her way towards somebody to just laughing and smiling and completely calm and excited. It's She's like a girl who's seeing the Beatles for the first time when they like touch base in the United States of America. It is insanity. And Bray comes out, and he just looks at Nikki with, like, this hellish look, like, you have messed up. And then he kind of walks away from Nikki and peers towards Alexa, and as he peers, his smile gets bigger, and then he holds out his arm, and she wraps up with him, and they skip their way to the ring for the match to begin. Just an insane sight to behold. So... This match was, I'm not going to say that this match was anything grand, but I will say that as a storytelling match and as a visual match, more so towards the Bray and Alexa angle, this was absolutely brilliant. Right off the bat, Bray walks to the middle of the ring and he holds out his hand and he he offers it to Miz. He says, hey... I will forgive you. Just shake my hand. Because I can forgive you. Because, you know, Firehouse Bray, Firehouse, Firefly Funhouse Bray is always like this. He's like, he's not the fighter. He's the lover. But he can if he has to. But he's always just trying to, like, you know, show people, hey, just shake my hand. Everything will be all right. And Miz doesn't take it. Just kicks him in the abdomen, and the match starts. And just this whole match was just, I can't even begin to explain how, like, uneasy and yet excited it made me the entire time. Bray's body language during this match was absolutely everything. And then, of course, all the moments with Alexa. Uh, At one moment, he told The Miz that he doesn't lay his hands on Alexa. Uh, There was another moment where The Miz kind of, like, interfered, and Bray like, just stared him down, and it caused Morrison to, like, back up in fear, and Alexa was, like, right beside of him, and he jumped and fell on the ground. 
like all of those moments is what made this match special. And I, I don't know, man, I forget how like great it is to watch Bray Wyatt in the ring because he's so quirky and weird and just good at telling a story when he's in there. Like he's just not wrestling, he's performing. You know, there were moments where he was like laughing and clapping and jumping up and down and like on the other side of the spectrum, there was this great moment towards the end of the match and I'll get into it here in a second. So, basically, the way this match ended was phenomenal, in my opinion. Um, Morrison interferes once again. Bray is in the corner doing his taunt. You know, the taunt that he does right before he hits you with Sister Abigail. And Morrison grabs his ankle. And this causes Bray to, like, jump up and just stare him down like, you just goofed. Hope you're ready. Morrison's walking away, and Alexa comes out of nowhere and just, like, jumps onto him, just pounces him, and it propels the both of them over the barricade into the area where the fans used to sit. And Bray's instantaneously worried. He's like, Alexa. And he, he's, he, like, he looks concerned, like, like his child just fell off of the swing set or something. And amongst that, the Miz capitalizes and ends up throwing Bray into the corner, and then the Miz does that Super cool clothesline thingy where he jumps into it and he goes through the two ropes on the top. And then you can just see Bray's arm like latch around him, like clinch up. And then his face is just right there beside the Miz's. And he just looks pissed. And he's like, yeah, this is about to end. And then the Miz is like, oh no. And then he drags Miz to the middle of the ring and he hits him with Sister Abigail and he gets the pinfall victory. One, two, three. And then we see Alexa like pop up like a puppet <laughs> from the barricade area and Bray locks eyes with her and she locks eyes with Bray and then they just start smiling and then we get what in my opinion was like the 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 best thing visually of this evening for me I guess and that was Alexa Bliss walking along the barricade like a child just adorably walking along this barricade balancing and then Bray holds his hand out, and she jumps down, and then they hold hands, and they walk up the ramp, and halfway up the ramp, the red shriek starts to happen. And the fiend appears on the Tron, and they both just <clears throat> stare at it, like in awe, like he's telling them something. And that's it. Like, this was so special, in my opinion. And it was... <sighs> So it it made my curiosity like go through the roof because Bray almost has this fatherly like spell over Alexa and it's it's super creepy now it's it's getting creepier and creepier as the weeks pass but I just I want it to go further <clears throat> I want it to get deeper and I want this to end up being something that's otherworldly and I think we're getting there I just I couldn't get over how much I loved this entire segment and, and they're they're just playing their roles so well I just I don't know I could talk about it for the rest of the podcast but we have to move on um, at this point we find out that Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke are injured and cannot compete at Survivor Series and they are replaced by Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce. Now, this is great for Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce, uh, specifically Peyton, because she's great. 
and I really hope that she gets to showcase something at Survivor Series. But this could have been huge for Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. I I don't know why <laughs> this happened, but it did. And I don't know, if I find something out, I guess I'll drop it. But for now, that's the way the cookie has crumbled for Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. Um, a little bit of a tidbit. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler are kind of in the back. And they're kind of yelling at each other. You know, Nia's like, why'd you do that? She was on her team. Like, now we're stuck with Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce. And then Lacey and Peyton kind of come into frame. And it cracked me up when Peyton Royce was like, maybe we should strategize. It was just the way that she delivered it and the way she said it. Like, I chuckled. She, she is super funny. Both both her and Billy Kay were hilarious. And it's a bummer that they're not a team anymore. It's even more of a bummer that they seem to be really, really pushing this idea of Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans. I don't know if I'm a fan of that. Like, why eradicate the Iconics to give us a team that doesn't make sense and that, honestly, not a lot of people care about? But, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. We move on to the final match of the night. It is Drew McIntyre battling Randy Orton for the WWE Championship. Now, as I was saying earlier, this buildup revolving around Drew McIntyre has been crazy. This man went into SmackDown confidently, got in the face of Roman Reigns confidently, shoved Jey Uso on the ground like a baby, confidently <laughs> accepted a match with Jey Uso which main evented SmackDown and despite the odds beat Jey Uso and then got in the face of Roman Reigns again then he opens up Raw with a crazy confident promo Drew McIntyre is on top at this very moment in time and going into all of this I didn't know what I wanted because, to me, they were pushing Drew like he's about to take it all. But, is Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns a good idea? Yes, it is a great idea. But, is this version of Roman Reigns versus this version of Drew McIntyre a good idea? Because who do you book to win? Who do you do it? I don't, I don't know. I, I can't choose because, in my opinion... The only way that Roman can win is if he wins dirty. But Drew can't win clean. Because if he beats Roman Reigns cleanly, Roman Reigns gets knocked down a couple of notches. Now, I know that it's ridiculous to think that. I know that it's ridiculous to think that one win can one win or one loss can like devastate someone's career. But this is a Roman Reigns and a Drew McIntyre that we've never seen before. This Roman Reigns is confident and dastardly and just almost unstoppable because he says he's unstoppable. This Drew McIntyre is fueled by the people. He's fueled by the fans. He's fueled by the Thunderdome. He's fueled by the people in the locker room that look up to him. He wants to be top guy because he knows that he can and he knows that he can do it for them. So we have two people that, in my opinion, cannot afford to lose at Survivor Series. And that is why I thought to myself, Randy needs to hold on to the title. Because I can see Randy losing. I can see Randy losing clean. I can see Randy losing dirty. It doesn't matter. It's Randy Orton. He's 14-time WWE champion. 
He's one of the most acclaimed professional wrestlers in the business. It's Randy Orton. He can lose at this point in his career, and it's fine, especially if he loses to someone like Randy Orton or Roman Reigns, who needs to look absolutely dominant right now. But I don't know. So, this idea was not helped when Drew McIntyre made his way to the ring. Because boy howdy, did they go all out for this man. Earlier in the night, Sheamus presented Drew with like a chest. And he opened it up and he just got starry-eyed. Well, Drew McIntyre's music hits and it plays and it plays and it plays and it goes on and on and on. And he's not coming out and for half a second I thought to myself, oh no, he has been attacked by Randy in the back and this match isn't going to happen. That's what I thought. And then he walks out and he's wearing a kilt and he is carrying a giant Claymore sword. And it was absolutely kick-ass. He then takes that Claymore and like shoves it into the ground and fire goes everywhere. Dude, it's the dopest fucking entrance. And I just, I first of all, I hope this entrance is permanent. I hope this is something that they keep for him. But it's also like, dude, it just, <laughs> you're doing all this stuff for Drew. There's no way he's going to lose. At this point, when, when he shoved that sword into the ground and fire went everywhere, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, there's no way this man is losing. This man went to SmackDown, kicked ass and took names, came back to Raw. He's been kicking ass and taking names all night. And now he's got a damn sword and a kilt, and he looks like a comic book hero. There's no way he's losing. So this match kicks off, and right off the bat, Randy wants to leave. Randy just doesn't want to be in this match at all. They go back and forth for a little bit, but it gets, it gets to a moment where Drew McIntyre has missed a Claymore, and he's like laid out on the ground, and Randy just rolls out of the ring, grabs his title, and starts walking towards the back. That is when Adam Pierce comes out and informs Randy that this match is not ending that way. Uh-uh-uh, it is not going to end like that. He states that this match, from here on out, is a no-disqualification match, and there will be a winner, period. He even drops a little catchphrase. He's like, and that is official. He should have had a whistle, in my opinion, to blow right after he said that. But he says it. And this match was very, very, very good, okay? <clears throat> this was a very good ending to this episode of Monday Night Raw because what we got was a solid, solid, solidified piece of gold as we head into Survivor Series. There was back and forth from both men. There was a couple of table spots that I really liked. Uh, both men made this title feel super-duper important. Drew has been making this title feel super-duper important without even carrying the damn thing. Randy is making it feel super-important because he's coveting it. He's acting as if it makes him the best in the world. So right now, the WWE title looks insanely important. It looks like it is the title that professional wrestlers want to obtain in this world, in this business. And both men conveyed that so well in this match. But... After a Claymore from out of nowhere, Drew McIntyre covers Randy Orton, the referee counts to three, and holy cannoli, on a tin can, Drew McIntyre is the WWE champion once again. And I cannot believe that they actually did it this soon. 
I could tell that they were probably going to because of all this buildup revolving around Drew. But I am not lying. I was surprised that this happened. And I was so fucking excited. Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre is going to be absolutely gigantic. But I still don't know how they're going to allow one of them to lose. Especially with how insanely strong the both of them look going into this event. This might be one of the best go-home episodes of Monday Night Raw that I've ever seen. This might be the best episode of Monday Night Raw that I've seen before a pay-per-view event. It was absolutely phenomenal. We're going to talk more about Survivor Series later, obviously, with our SmackDown discussion. And, of course, with our uh, predictions discussion. But... This episode of Raw could not have gone any better, in my opinion. Uh, Insane episode of Raw. On the beard scale. This is what a go-home show should feel like. On the beard scale, this episode of Monday Night Raw gets a beard that now carries around a big-ass sword. Another bell rings and we move on to some more things. We are shying away from World Wrestling Entertainment at this moment to focus on the November 18th edition of All Elite Wrestling's Dynamite. Uh, this was this was probably one of the more, I guess, I want to say lackluster, but that sounds really offensive. It was a good episode, a solid episode of Dynamite, but in comparison to like last week's episode, it wasn't as grand. But not all hits can be home runs you can say. Um, Our first match of the evening, the way we kicked off the show, was the Young Bucks going up against some fresh young newcomers by the name of Top Flight. Now, I've never heard of Top Flight before. Um, I guess they're, you know, popular in the uh, world of indie wrestling, and I was blown away when these two gentlemen announced that they are 21 and 19 years old. What an opportunity for these two young lads to not only appear on TNT television on a Wednesday evening for AEW, but also they get the first match against the new champs, the Young Bucks. That's absolutely incredible. This match, to me, was all about Top Flight showcasing their abilities on a grand scale and the Young Bucks giving some, you know, young whippersnappers a shot. Um, they conveyed that they underestimated Top Flight really well. And Top Flight walked away from this opportunity looking like a great future threat to the world of tag team wrestling. Uh, the Young Bucks obviously get the win, but I think it's deeper than that. I think, you know, they and they talked about it a lot on commentary. The Young Bucks see a lot of themselves in Top Flight. You know, two young kids who are new to the game and have loved professional wrestling for a long time. And they just want to, you know, they just want to do this. And I I think it's really cool that the Young Bucks not only gave them an opportunity, but gave them an opportunity on their platform to showcase their skills. Um, And I was very impressed with them. Um, The younger one, the 19-year-old, I forget his name, that dude must have, like, hydraulics in his legs or something it's his his hops are ridiculous um after the match is over top flight is actually attacked by evans and helico um 
And I think that that's really interesting because we don't see them do a lot in AEW. And it's a bit of a bummer because Jack Evans is ridiculous in a wrestling ring. He's literally like a video game character come to life. But I really like that that happened because this potentially opens up the doors for a feud that could really give us some unreal tag team matches. But we will have to wait and see how that goes. Also, before I move on, um, shut up about gymnastics and wrestling. It's it's fun to watch, and you're just being a party pooper, old head ass, and we don't appreciate it. So, Jim Cornette, go suck on an egg. <laughs> we move on to part one of the inner circle <laughs> going to Las Vegas. Um, this was... Everything that I thought it wouldn't be, it was better. It was absolutely ridiculous. First of all, it was superbly shot. It was like a little montage. And it was filmed very well. The lighting was great. It was very, very good. Um, Early aggravation from Sammy Guevara towards MJF early on at the blackjack table. Uh, MJF and Jericho try to outdrink one another. You know, MJF orders a slippery nipple which causes Jericho to order some peppermint schnapps, and then they just keep climbing up in the alcoholic world of ridiculousness, and they end up taking shots, not even shots, they end up drinking entire glasses of uh, 100 proof Everclear, which is no bueno. And just the way they reacted to it, they were just, but like both of them simultaneously said, son of a bitch, and MJF looked like he was going to hurl and then for the rest of the time, uh, they're they're drunk. <laughs> um, there was a cameo from Conan, which I thought was fucking incredible. Um, there was also a cameo from Piff, the Magic Dragon, uh, stand-up comedian slash magician who's very good at what he does. Look him up if you don't know who he is. It was just really great. <clears throat> it was quirky. It was ridiculous, and it had a to-be-continued moment. So part two will come later. Uh, we move on to John Moxley in the back in an undisclosed location, uh, doing a little you know video promo talking about his match with Kenny Omega. And I really liked it because he talked about he talked about his dad and he, he described his dad as like a gigantic brick shit house of a man who would like you know sock you in the ear when you did something wrong, um, which is great. It ties into Moxley's character really, really well. And he talks about this one time when his dad picked him up from jail. And before they pulled off, his dad said that they were the good guys. And this whole promo kind of revolved around what he is and what he has done as champion. And what he's sacrificed. And it, w- it was just absolutely fantastic. He he dropped Renee's name. Um, well, he didn't say Renee's name. Uh, Excalibur ended up saying Renee's name, which I thought was cool. But he, you know, he said, I got a pregnant wife at home, which I had no idea. I didn't know that he was about to be a daddy. Congratulations to the two of them. Um, But it was just a really real, not as like, it wasn't as intense of a promo that we usually get from Moxley. It wasn't that in your face, you have hell to pay. You've never faced someone like me before. It was like calm and menacing and I really 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 liked it. it 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 basically made me wonder that a 
how is this contract signing going to go? I'm super pumped for it. And B, will Omega deliver a promo of his own to, like, you know, counteract this? Um, but we'll talk about it here in a little bit. Uh, we move on to the second match of the night, Orange Cassidy versus Kip Sabian in a bit of a grudge match. Uh, Miro is on commentary. This match was decent. Um, it was nothing grand. I personally don't really see anything special in Kip Sabian. And I know that that's rude, but he's he's got the look, and he's got the heel bad boy gimmick down, but for me, Kip Sabian doesn't really shine in the ring. Um, you know, he, he doesn't do that like Miro or Orange Cassidy. He doesn't have that that pizzazz. Something is lacking there, and I think that's why I thought this match was just decent and nothing grand. Um, but this match did do a good job of making us hate Kip Sabian and Miro a tad bit more. Uh, Orange gets the win with a mousetrap, and as soon as that referee's hand comes down and counts three, Miro rips off his headset, runs down to the ring, jumps the ropes like a madman, and then just clotheslines the juice out of Orange Cassidy. It was absolutely diabolical. And then him and Kip start beating up on Orange, which, you know, no surprise here, brings out best friends, and they kind of cause Kip and Miro and Penelope to flee away. So, I don't know, I think this feud needs to go somewhere. I think we need to... I know it's a bit crazy to say, especially with this climb that's almost been halted and slowed down of Orange Cassidy, but I think Miro needs to destroy Orange Cassidy. Or Miro and Kip need to pick up a third person, and we need to have a six-man tag to bring this to an end. Because I really want to see Best Friends highlighted a bit more in the tag team division. I'd personally like to see them at the top at some point. Um, Miro and Kip, to me, are a placeholder team. for. I think it's a bit of a stepping stone for Miro's career. Uh, I still think that we're going to see Miro turn on Kip Sabian, personally. Or maybe we'll see... No, we'll probably see Kip Sabian turn on Miro. And then Miro will just, you know, break him in half like Bane did Batman. And then Miro will be a face. Something like that. But it needs to happen soon. Because... They can only chase each other around the arena so much before we're all like, okay, you know, this needs to culminate into something. Uh, but now we move on to the contract signing between John Moxley and Kenny Omega. Um, I think it's December the 2nd. On December the 2nd, winter is coming. That's what they call it. Uh, on television, we are getting John Moxley versus Kenny Omega for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. And that is bananas. But for now, we get this contract signing. Kenny makes his grand entrance to the ring. Uh, with some anti-Moxley tidbits being announced by Roberts, which I thought was really cool. And he, he makes his way down to the ring, and he sits down, and he's got a suit on, and he looks, you know, nice and prim and proper. And then Moxley's music hits, and he doesn't come out. That's when Tony Schiavone announces that something is going on in the back. And then we see a sprawled-out, lifeless... John Moxley laying on the ground with a bloody nose, not doing anything. He's not blinking, he's not moving, he's not sh shouting in pain. Nobody knows what happened. And then uh, a trainer says, we need to get him on a stretcher and get him out of here as softly as possible. And 
it's it's a shocking moment because it makes you wonder what happened to John Moxley. Better yet, it makes you wonder who happened to John Moxley. Why was he attacked before the contract signing? Was it Kingston? Was it Archer? Who knows? But what got me the most from this little segment was Kenny's reaction. He just kind of laughed and smirked about it. And then he stood up and he took the microphone from Shivani. And he said, he said, last time it was Mox's elbow. And this time it's a bloody nose. And then he just signs the contract and leaves the ring. He, he doesn't seem worried about John Moxley. He doesn't seem to care. He's just like, well, I'll be there and hopefully John will too. And then he leaves the ring. And I think that that's a really big moment for this new Kenny Omega. Because I think what we are seeing is we are seeing Kenny Omega slowly turn into a scumbag. I don't think it's going to happen instantaneously. In, in my opinion, when Moxley and Omega face off, if Moxley wins this match, that's when we're going to see the sudden heel turn from Omega. He'll probably beat the shit out of him after the match is over. And he'll get booed. And it'll be great. But, you know, there's always the possibility, what if Kenny wins? I think if Kenny wins, this slow scumbaggery will continue to build, and then we'll just have a really arrogant champion. And I think that that would be solid. Uh, we move on, I digress, to part two of the Inner Circle's trip to Las Vegas. Now, at this point, the men are all on top of a roof with uh, an Elvis lookalike, or Elvis. I mean, he, he did a pretty good job. And, you know, MJF is just giving this drunkenly heartfelt speech about, you know, being a lone wolf and finding his wolf pack and looking at them as blood brothers. And at that point, Sammy Guevara, like, pulls a random knife out and holds it against his palm. And he's like, yeah, blood brothers, I can make a pact right now. And Elvis is like, whoa, come down now. And it was really funny. And they just kind of, like, howl into the night. And the howling kind of brings on the next morning. And that's when I realized that we're basically getting a hangover parody <laughs> from the Inner Circle and All Elite Wrestling. Um, oh my gosh, where do I begin? M uh, Chris Jericho wakes up in bed with Elvis. Uh, MJF wakes up in a hot tub, approaches Sammy Guevara, who is passed out in a fountain. And they have, you know, some choice words with one another. Sammy tells MJF that at least he's not soft, and then when we see MJF's face, <laughs> he has the word soft written all over it. And we have, uh, you know, Sammy was here written across his forehead. Uh, we also have, oh my gosh, I can't even remember any of it. It was so crazy. Um, oh yeah, Sammy announcing that he's married and has three wives. And then Ortiz, who's pumping iron in a bride tank top, which was really confusing, um, saying that he's always wanted a Mormon friend. And then we have Jericho and Elvis making their way through this giant room that they found themselves in. I actually think it might be the same room that The Hangover was filmed in. It looks really, really similar. But they come across Santana, who's like hanging out with some chickens, feeding them Funyuns. And then they hear crying. Like, not a baby crying. It sounds like a small, like human crying and lo and behold it was they open up a door to a bedroom and there's hornswoggle in a fucking diaper 
crying on the ground. And then Jericho goes, gentlemen, we have a problem. And that was it. And it was so ridiculous. It was, it was not what I expected. I honestly thought that we would see them go to Vegas and like something would happen. Like MJF throws Sammy in a river and like leaves him for dead. Or MJF purposely bets Sammy's placement in the inner circle on a game of blackjack or craps and Sammy loses and he's out. Like, I don't know. I thought it was going to be something completely different, but I am very happy with what it was because it was hilarious and ridiculous. And let's be honest, MJF and Jericho can give us ridiculous, stupid bits and we eat it up. I eat it up and I think most people do. And I think that that's great. So, with that being said, what on earth? Let's move on to the next match of the night, which is the returning pack in one-on-one competition against The Blade. Uh, Pack kicks this match off with a hellish dropkick to the corner on The Blade. Very explosive. And pretty much runs things for a little while. That is, until The Butcher gets uh, himself involved. He basically gets in Pack's face, and this causes The Blade to get the upper hand on Pack. Um, and then we have the blade running things for a hot minute. Uh, the match goes back and forth until a distraction from the bunny. Now, bunny distracts the ref so the butcher can run in. When the butcher runs in, he gets kicked out of his boots by Pack, and this basically allows Pack to set up for the shooting star press submission combination. He delivers a shooting star press to the back of the blade instantaneously goes into his submission maneuver, I forget the name of it, and the blade taps. It was a pretty good match. I forgot how much I love watching Pac wrestle. I've always loved, when he was Neville in the WWE, I was a gigantic fan of his in-ring abilities. Just very, very good. Super glad that he is back. Pac then goes to pick up a microphone and starts, you know, running his mouth to Eddie Kingston, who was on commentary the entire match. Well, before he can even get a sentence out, he is attacked from behind by the Butcher. This causes the Blade to jump pack as well, and this causes Eddie Kingston to laughly make his way to the ring and pretty much get in Pac's face and, you know, just treat him like a dog. Then, Ray Phoenix comes out and kind of evens out the odds, you know, helping out his, his old homie from Death Triangle. And... It's pretty great for a couple of seconds until Kingston and his goons get the upper hand. And then we have a really awesome moment where Penta walks from the back with a steel chair. And he gets in the ring and he acts as if he's going to hit his own brother, Ray Phoenix, in the back with the chair. The Butcher, the Blade, the Bunny, Eddie, they're all begging him to do it. And then he goes to swing and swings towards Eddie, and they all scatter. So now we know for a fact that Death Triangle is back, and they're back in business, and I'm super excited. Because right when Death Triangle was about to take off, we you know, we were hit with the pandemic. And unfortunately, Pac had to go home, and he had to go into lockdown, which is where he's been for like eight months. So... I'm really glad that they're back, and I'm also really glad that we can get some solid six-man tag team action from these gentlemen. The Butcher and the Blade and Eddie Kingston versus Death Triangle? Sign me up, baby. I want to see that. Now, 
We move on to a small segment in the back. Jade Cargill has Brandy's arm tied up in a chair, and she's running her mouth to her, talking smack, and then she just stomps on it. So basically, Brandy's arm is, you know, broken or fractured or sprained, whatever they're going to say next week. Um, very important. Jade got her, you know, payback for all the dirty things that Brandy absolutely bodied her with last week. But the big thing from this segment for me was the fact that Jade had Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero on her side. So I smell a dastardly heel faction forming between the three of them. We will have to see where this goes. The next match of the night is Serena Deeb defending her NWA women's title against Thunder Rosa. Now, this was a no-brainer. As soon as they announced this match, I was excited for it. It was another solid-ass match between the two of them. These two women can absolutely go. Um, but there was, a, there was a bit of a discretion in this match. There was a, a, a moment that didn't happen the first time around that was surprising and made me wonder what the heck is going on. And that moment was Rebel running down to the ring to distract the referee while Dr. Britt Baker came out and attacked Thunder Rosa on the ramp. She throws Thunder Rosa back into the ring, runs away, Rebel runs away, the referee doesn't know what happened, and Serena Deeb has no idea what has happened. However, this does not cause Serena to get the win right off the bat, but in my opinion, it does weaken Thunder Rosa to where she eventually loses the match. Thunder Rosa does lose this match, and Serena Deeb retains. Well, after the match, Thunder Rosa gets out of the ring and just attacks Britt Baker, who is for some reason sitting in the front row like, you know what you did. Why are you not off hiding somewhere? She's just sitting in the front row acting as if nothing happened. Of course she's going to get punched in the face. And then a little brawl breaks out between the two of them. And all I'm left thinking is, first of all, Britt Baker, what a dummy head. <laughs> if you're going to attack somebody, don't do that. Don't instantaneously go and sit in the front row like, oh, I can't believe that she did that. Good. Great. I'm talking about it. But also... How ditzy. And it also makes me wonder if Thunder Rosa is like finally going to, you know, sign a contract with AEW. Man, I I miss NWA power. And I will say it every episode if I have to. That's why the tagline at the beginning of my episodes is, you know, we keep it raw. We have the power. <clears throat> Pardon me. We bring the dynamite. And if you disagree, we, we may lay the smack down on you. That's why I say that, because I talk about Raw, I talk about Dynamite, and I talk about SmackDown, and I wanted to talk about power on this podcast. But it's been down for the count for quite some time, and I have no idea if it's ever going to return. I have no idea if it's ever going to return in, in maybe even a different way. I don't know. I've been trying to keep up with Billy Corgan and everything that he's saying, and I don't know, it's just left and right, we see people who are in the NWA, you know, going to different places, and we see, uh, you know, titles changing hands, and people popping up in AEW, and I just wonder, like, what's going to happen? Am I am I going to have to drop power from my tagline? Uh, I might have to do that. But, regardless, if if we're not going to get power back anytime soon, or a different form of power, 
I'd like to see Thunder Rosa join All Elite Wrestling. I mean, she has killed it every single time she's been there. And she's got a great look. She's got a great character. Um, everything is fantastic about her. And I think that this incident with Britt Baker could be the door opening for that announcement. So we will just have to wait and see. Um, on to the main event of the evening. Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen in tag team action against Ricky Starks and Brian Cage, a.k.a. the Taz team. Uh, this was a great, great tag team match with really, really good build-up. From the beginning of this match to the very end of this match, the build-up was almost perfect. Like, great tag team wrestling, great dirty tag team wrestling, great chaos moments, awesome spots. Every single person had their little moment to shine. It was just a really, really solid tag team match. Um, I was very surprised, <clears throat> to be completely honest, that Cody and Darby lost this match. I thought that they would win. Because, you know, Darby is, a, is like the new champion. And I don't know if having him take a pinfall this early in his reign is a good look. Because now we can say that Brian Cage could easily beat Darby Allen. Well, I wouldn't say easily. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. See, this is why I like talking about it because I always, I always find myself questioning everything. And that's why I like professional wrestling because sometimes you may have an idea about... And here's the, there's no right or wrong in professional wrestling. You know, It's just not the way it is. It's just a story that you have to pay attention to. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe it makes sense that Cody and Darby lost. Well, okay, Cody and Darby gave this match their absolute all, but it wasn't enough for them when it came to Cage and Ricky Starks and just the way they operate as a tag team, which is very, very dirty. Um, they could not keep up with that. But for me, Brian Cage looks like a monster coming out of this, and I do think that it takes a little bit away from Darby Allen, but I think that this happened for a reason. First of all, Brian Cage hitting his finishing maneuver from the top rope on Darby Allen was nasty. Insane. Darby sells like a motherfucker. I give him all the props in the world for the shit that he does. But afterwards, after Cage and Ricky Starks get the win, there's this, you know, obvious blatant attack on the two of them, because that's what Team Taz does. They're dirty heels. We don't like them. We're not supposed to like them. So, of course, they're going to attack the two people that a lot of people cherish in this company. Well, Will Hobbs runs down to the ring with a steel chair and runs them off, and they leave the FTW title laying in the middle of the ring, and that's when Will Hobbs picks it up and kind of starts to, like, taunt Brian Cage with it. Cody stands up, gets beside Will Hobbs, and kind of puts his hand on his shoulder. And he's like, thanks, dog. I appreciate that. And that's when Will Hobbs hits him over the head with the FTW championship. And we have a shocking turn of events. <clears throat> I was blown away that this happened. Because Will Hobbs has been the homie for quite some time. And we haven't really got to see him shine. But the fact that he is now a part of Taz's team is shocking. And that's where the story makes me 
think that everything is going to be all right. Because, in my opinion, Cody and Darby are probably going to get some help from somebody great. And I, I like that idea. I like that they had Cage and Starks win to set up Will Hobbs' heel turn. So maybe we can see Darby and Cody come out of this on top with the help of somebody else. So, very shocking way to end this week's episode of AEW Dynamite. Um, it was a pretty solid episode. They're very consistent. That's one thing that they've always done. And before I rate this episode on a beard scale, the beard scale, pardon me, oh my gosh, um, <laughs> there was this... Uh, the the revolution thing i forget the name of it but it's the uh like the documentary on on AEW and how it all started first of all it's incredible and i cannot wait to see it in its entirety but i think it's really really important the things that all these people said you know Cody Rhodes talking about them not being you know, backed by anybody because when they first came out, they had to deal with a uh, a juggernaut in the world of professional wrestling with 40 years on them, you know, speaking of Vince McMahon. And I think it's really important that Nyla Rose talks about the fact that she's transgendered. And I think it's going to be really, really good for the world of professional wrestling when that drops in entirety. I think it is going to rattle everything. Just like AEW rattled the world of professional wrestling when they debuted and just like they've been doing it ever since, I think that this little documentary thingamajig is going to be top notch and I think it's going to make people talk and I think it's going to bring a lot of people into AEW because it just it's about pushing buttons and being real and being honest with yourself and presenting Presenting something like professional wrestling in as real of a light as you can and making it as real as you can. So I'm just really, really excited for that. But on the beard scale, this episode of Dynamite gets a beard that usually thinks of itself as a lone wolf but has now found its very own wolf pack. Oh! <laughs> oh yes, ladies and gentlemen, another bell has rung. So we got to talk about them thungs. <laughs> We're moving on to SmackDown. This is the November 20th edition of SmackDown Live. It is the go-home episode of SmackDown, the go-home episode of WWE programming as we head into Survivor Series 2020. Now remember, usually the episodes end with the end of the SmackDown discussion, not this episode. This episode, I will be dropping my Survivor Series 2020 predictions to close the show out. But let's talk about SmackDown right now. The show kicks off with the Street Profits in the Champions Lounge, and they're basically hyping up Survivor Series. The Street Profits are absolutely incredible at being hype men. They are so good at talking. They are so charismatic. It's just, if you are going to promote something within the company, in my opinion, it needs to rest on their shoulders. They are incredibly good at what they do. Uh, the, the main thing they talk about is The Undertaker's final farewell at Survivor Series. And we get a great impression from Montez Ford. He rolls his eyes in the back of his head. And then the lights start to flicker. Thunder and lightning start to happen. And they both look a little confused. And from behind them, we hear a deep voice say, Rest in peace. And he rises up from behind the snack table, wearing a sombrero. And it's Big E. 
absolutely hilarious. Uh, Big E comes from around the snack table and basically informs them that, um, you know, you guys have a match with the New Day. That's what you need to be focusing on. The Street Profits respond confidently, saying that they will bring the New Day to an end. And then E kind of tells them, hey, it's not me that you need to be saying this stuff to. It's them, Kofi and Xavier, who are here tonight. Let's go. I was super duper excited. Big E goes into his pre-entrance spiel that he usually does uh, when they were, you know, like a whole faction on the same brand. And then that's when Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods come down to the ring. Um, they they get there and they have their microphones. And from this moment on, Xavier Woods impresses the shit out of me. Okay, this whole segment was really good. But for me, it all rested on the shoulders of how fantastic Xavier Woods is. Um, Kofi and Xavier basically start talking about the Street Profits, uh, you know, just downplaying them and talking about how they're going to win this Sunday at Survivor Series. Um, and then they turn their attention to The Undertaker's final farewell, and we get this great moment where they do some impressive impressions. Um, they drop down to their knee, and then they hold their hand up in the air, and then hilariously they both lay on their back, and they both count back down from three. And then when they hit one, they just they rise, and Xavier's wood eye, Xavier Wood's eyes are in the back of his head, and Kofi's just like, it's a sit-up, dog. It's a sit-up. Just absolutely hilarious. However, they are interrupted by Sami Zayn, who makes his way to the ring just calling out everybody. He calls out The Undertaker. He calls out WWE management. He says that he owes The Undertaker a beating because The Undertaker chokeslammed him in the middle of Madison Square Garden. And he says that the reason The Undertaker is retiring is because WWE management told him to do so so he wouldn't have to face Sami Zayn. And I think that that's absolutely hilarious. It also makes Sami Zayn looks like an asshole, which is great. Um, Sami finally makes his way to the ring, and at this point he's you know, talking bad about Bobby Lashley, brings the spotlight onto himself, Xavier grills his outfit, you know, just says, what does he say? You look like a divorced dad or something. It was absolutely catastrophic. And at this point, Baron Corbin has made his way to the ring. And at this point, I'm like, okay, something's going to happen. Like, this is probably going to involve a bunch of people, and I was not wrong. King Corbin makes his way down to the ring, tells Kofi and Xavier that they got drafted, they don't need to be there, he tells them that they need to leave. Xavier Woods hilariously responds saying, hey, uh, yes, we were drafted to Raw, but we are visiting. It's really not that hard to understand. Made me laugh out loud. At this point, Ziggler and Rude come out to talk smack, and it's just a bunch of heels and two faces. You have Sami Zayn, King Corbin, Robert Roode, Dolph Ziggler, and they're all just talking smack against the New Day, and you have these two faces defending themselves oh so perfectly. And then we get this moment where Kofi Kingston kind of uses reverse psychology, or at least attempts to, on the four of them, trying to convince them that they need to duke it out because the winners of that match will face him and Xavier for the Raw Tag Team titles. Well... You know, Sammy goes on to say that they would definitely win if that were to happen. Corbin's like, well, we're not a team, yada, yada, yada. Ziggler and Rude look a little bit frustrated. 
But then, before the reverse psychology can work, Ziggler and Rude attack the New Day, and this brings out the Street Profits, who basically run to the ring to help the New Day, and they lay everybody out, and then we get this face-off moment where Ford and Dawkins are on the outside of the ring, Kofi and Xavier on the inside of the ring, and they're just, like, facing off. And that is what brings us to our first match of the night. Um, Xavier's ability to grill anyone at any given moment, incredible. His ability to talk in general is just crazy. Um, this was a pretty solid opening to tonight's episode, and I really, really enjoyed it. And this is a perfect segue into the first match of the night, which is the New Day, along with the Street Profits versus Dolph Ziggler, Robert Roode, Sami Zayn, and King Corbin. Now, for the first bit of this match, it was basically the faces <clears throat> just trying to outdo one another and show off, um, and it was really fun to see. Kofi, Xavier, Ford, and Dawkins are... They're, they're like cut from the same cloth as far as charismatic, entertaining teams go, and... I just really think it's going to be magic. We'll talk more about it later in my Survivor Series predictions, but I think it's going to be absolute magic when they meet in the ring. Um, essentially, this goes on for a bit. Very mint. However, there's a bit of a chaotic brawl that breaks out in the middle of the match, and Kofi accidentally hits Ford with the crossbody from the top rope. And that's kind of when the mood changes. At this point, the faces decide to focus... Rather than outdoing each other, they decide to focus on the match at hand and just winting. Uh, they completely dismantle the heel team and easily pick up a win. Uh, they stand tall, they face off, and as I stated earlier, I'm super duper excited for their match Sunday. Um, will we see a passing of the torch? Remember those shoes that I talked about? Yeah. Let's save that for Survivor Series, and let's move on to Daniel Bryan being back with a, you know, fancy new haircut that looks really good on him. Uh, he's back after his vicious attack from Jey Uso a few weeks ago, and he's instantly called out by Sami Zayn. And Sami Zayn runs his mouth for a bit, and then Daniel just, like, pushes him down. And this causes Sami Zayn to say that this isn't over, and he does not forget and I just wonder, like, when this feud is going to take off, because I want it bad. I think Sami Zayn versus Daniel Bryan in a decently long match would be absolutely phenomenal. And I really hope this actually goes somewhere. Um, he diverts his attention from that, however, and speaks on Jey Uso, talking about angels and demons being on his shoulder. And he basically says that he is going to get revenge on Jey for the beatdown that was given to him and quotes Jay saying that it's not going to be anything personal. So, really excited for that. Um, small little tidbit, Adam Pierce chooses Otis as the final member of, Smackdown men's, of SmackDown's men's team for Survivor Series. Just hand-chosen. Otis is picked by Adam Pierce. I thought that was really interesting. I'm excited for Otis. I think he needed to be on the Survivor Series team. I thought that it was going to be Lars Sullivan, to be completely honest, but they probably have other plans for him. We'll talk about that here in a little while. Um, the one thing that confused me about this segment was Chad Gable, because I'm really glad that the whole Shorty G thing is gone, 
and I never want to think about it again. But I do not understand this Chad Gable angle uh, that's going on with Otis. Chad Gable's right there when Adam Pearce tells Otis that he's made it onto the SmackDown men's team. And he says, we did it. And I'm, I'm just confused because no, no, you didn't. Otis, Otis did it. Adam Pearce chose Otis. Gable had nothing to do with it. And why is Otis letting him say these things? It's very, very odd, kind of confusing. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to see Otis aligned in a team anymore because it almost seems pointless. This is like the like what happened with the Iconics. If you were going to split up Otis and Tucker, eradicate heavy machinery, have Tucker turn on Otis, why, why would you not, A, further that storyline and make it interesting, and B, throw Otis right back in the mix with somebody else? And it's not even somebody that makes sense. It's Chad Gable. Like, let's give Chad Gable a bit of a shot as a singles competitor, okay? Remember, he's absolutely incredible. He is amazing in the wrestling ring, and he's kind of been just floating since American Alpha came to an end, and that really sucks. Um, oh gosh, he's had some great matches on 205 Live, too. I just I don't know what they're doing. It just it doesn't click with me. Um, now, speaking of this scenario... Adam Pearce has also decided to choose Bailey as a member of the SmackDown women's team for Survivor Series. And right off the bat, I was like, okay, well, I mean, that's an obvious pick, but it's probably not going to go well with everyone else. And this is what bleeds into our next match of the night. Natalia versus Tamina in a last chance qualifying match to earn the very last spot on the SmackDown women's team for Survivor Series. Bianca Belair is on commentary, and before the match can start, Bailey makes her way down to the ring, well, the commentary table, where she sits and instantaneously says that she's the captain. So there it is. <laughs> her and Bianca kind of, you know, they don't really get into it, but they're sassy towards one another on the announcement table. And in the ring, Natalia beats Tamina by making her tap out to the sharpshooter. And there you have it. The team is complete. Um... All the women come down to the ring, get in the ring, and they appear to be cohesive. Even with Bailey, an annoying heel member slash captain in quotations, um, they seem to be like cohesive. They're standing beside of each other. They're holding their hands up, and they look prepared. Um, I wonder how that's going to go at the big show. It is better than Team Raw because Team Raw is going into the show all sorts of screwed up, but I wonder if they're saving all the drama for the SmackDown team at the event. We'll talk about that later, but that's that's just my thoughts uh, on that situation. Next up, we have the biggest moment of the night, in my opinion, and that is the contract signing for the gigantic match that is Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns. Both men make their way to the ring, and Roman does something small but gigantic at the same time. Instead of sitting on the opposite side of the table like you normally would, he sits at the head of the table. I really, really liked that. I thought it was arrogant. I thought it was small. I thought it was poetic. It was him literally taking this head-of-the-table catchphrase that he's created and like bringing it to life. I really, really liked it. Um, he tries to get in Drew's head a bit 
but Drew confidently signs the contract without any bullshit. And he looks at Roman as he's handing him the contract to sign it, and he doesn't let go of it, and he looks Roman in his eyes and he says, use these last two days of peace to prepare for war. That is a fire line. Absolutely incredible. Roman responds, however, by essentially just degrading Drew McIntyre. He says that Drew is a secondary title holder. He says that Drew is the guy that they rely on when Roman's not in the picture. He's like, oh, Roman's not here? Roman can't do it? Let's just bring in Drew. And that's really, really insulting. And then he states his role as the face of the company and the head of the table. And he tells Drew McIntyre that one day... Drew will look back on these moments and he will thank Roman and he will love him and he he ends it all by saying that Drew will always be his favorite number two. Just tons of slaps to the face of Drew McIntyre and he, he signs the contract and then he leaves and it's all set. I cannot wait to talk about this later because I feel like I have quite a bit to say about this matchup. For now, we're going to move on to the next match of the night. The next match of the night is Murphy versus Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins has been pissed off since what happened last week involving Murphy, and it did not make it any better this evening when Murphy came down to the ring with the Mysterios. Uh, this sent Rollins into a rage that is even greater than my rage <laughs> that they're still doing the whole Aaliyah and Murphy as a couple thing. Seth Rollins was angry. Uh, at one point, he ties Murphy up into the ropes and threatens to use a kendo stick on him. This is where Ray grabs the kendo stick, stops it, but ends up getting attacked by Seth. Then, Dominic steps in to help his dad, and he also gets laid out. At this point, Murphy gets the upper hand, but just for a few seconds. Murphy climbs onto the top rope, to, you know, jump from the heavens and attack Seth Rollins. And Seth Rollins, Seth Rollins just pushes him off the top rope, and he goes outside the ring and lands against the barricade. It looked rough. It was a crazy bump. We go to commercial break to the sound of, like, Aaliyah screaming for Murphy to get up and Rollins laughing about it. And when we come back, Seth is still running the show. He pretty much runs this match until the end just being completely ruthless against Murphy. Well, at one point, Murphy is just playing this character that's going within and refuses to stay down, and it's really, really good. And after several knee strikes to Seth Rollins' face, he hits his finisher, and he slowly crawls to Seth, and he pins him, and he gets like the biggest win of, of his career. Second to him becoming the Cruiserweight Champion, a couple of years ago, this is probably the biggest moment for Murphy that I've seen since he's left NXT. Um, this was huge. And as much as I hate the whole Aaliyah situation and that they're still doing that, I am happy to see Murphy being highlighted on television, on SmackDown, because I've always thought that Murphy was a great talent. This does make me wonder, however, what's next for Seth? Like, is this it for him? Is the feud going to go on longer? We all know that Becky Lynch is, you know, pregnant, and they recently posted some pictures online, which are absolutely lovely. Uh, go look them up if you want your heart to feel all warm and fluttery. Um, and I, I just wonder, like, if 
after Survivor Series, Seth will take a break. But, you know, we'll talk about that later, I guess. Uh, we move on to an in-ring interview where Michael Cole is interviewing Asuka and Sasha Banks, who have a match on Sunday at Survivor Series. Um, Asuka is being hilarious, but also <laughs> kind of cringy in a weird way. I don't know what it was about this segment, but something really, really bothered me about Asuka. She didn't... I don't know. She was quoting other wrestlers. She was quoting the New Age Outlaws. She was quoting John Cena. It was it was funny, but it was also kind of weird because why is she not taking this super duper seriously? You know, she's got a match against a longtime rival in Sasha Banks, um, which is what's fueling this match for me. I mean, this rivalry has very deep roots, and I personally think that at Survivor Series, it's probably going to bring all of this to an end. So it's really weird that Asuka's not taking it seriously and just doing the thing that she's been doing for months and months and months. Uh, and Sasha is almost acting like a heel again. She's doing that weird, like, heelish, annoying-ass laugh that she did when she was friends with Bailey. But that's kind of cut short because in the middle of this confrontation, Carmella once again attacks Sasha from behind. Uh, but this time, it's a little bit more ruthless. She ties uh, Sasha up in the corner, Tree of Woe style, and just starts kicking her. And then she takes Sasha's head and shoulders and brings them outside on the apron while her legs are still tied up. And then she just kicks Sasha in the head. And it was really good, and it made Carmella look like straight up terrible. Um, not terrible as in, like, you know, she looked bad. Terrible as in, like, she looks like an asshole. And it made you feel sympathy for Sasha. But the most interesting thing about this whole segment was that Asuka did absolutely nothing while that was going on. She just let Sasha get attacked. And there was even a few moments where the camera would, like, focus on Asuka and kind of, like, highlight that she was doing that, plus the look on her face. It was very, very interesting and I don't know what that means, but we'll save it for our Survivor Series discussion. Uh, I'm going to say that at least 17 more times, by the way, as I finish this SmackDown discussion, so please just bear with me. <laughs> we move on to the main event of the evening, and it's Daniel Bryan versus Jey Uso in a bit of a grudge match. Daniel just wants to get revenge on what was done to him by Jay, and man, this was really... I wouldn't say it was hard to watch, but it was kind of crazy seeing how long that Jay ran things for. It felt like for the entire match, he was just absolutely manhandling Daniel Bryan with no sympathy whatsoever. Um, but that's what Bryan does. Bryan is one of the best quote-unquote underdog fighters in the world, and he did a really good job of taking the beating and then getting energy from the Yes Movement, the virtual Yes Movement, I guess we could say, and getting in a really good rally of offense that just made you go, yes, he's going to do this. And then, after a few super kicks, it seems like he's down for the count and he's going to lose the match. And then out of nowhere, he rolls Jay up and he gets the feel-good victory. He celebrates. Jay Uso is pissed off on the outside of the ring, probably worried about, you know, facing his cousin Roman Reigns now that he's lost to Daniel Bryan. And then the show comes to an end. And I thought that was very weird. This was not a bad episode of SmackDown. 
but the last little bit really didn't feel like a go-home episode of WWE programming as you head into a pay-per-view weekend. Um, It was nowhere near as good as Raw was. Monday Night Raw was fabulous this past Monday. And this episode of SmackDown just didn't really hold a candle to it. And I also... I don't understand why the ending was that, I guess. I mean, looking back and reflecting on this episode of SmackDown, I kind of think that the ending should have been the New Day and the Street Profits facing off. So, I'm not sure. The ending was a little lackluster, especially heading into Survivor Series. Um, But, I digress and we move on to the Beard Scale. Um... Like I said, this was a pretty good go-home show, but it was nowhere near as good as Raw. This gets a beard that's my favorite second place. And while all the wrestlers are out there beating each other to pieces, trying to be survivors, I'm sitting back relaxing, contemplating my next move. Oh boy, howdy, friends. I am so excited for Survivor Series 2020. I'm excited for a lot of reasons, and... I don't know. I just I I hope that it's it's good. I hope that Survivor Series this year leaves me feeling uh not not I'm not going to say complete, but it leaves me feeling excited. Um it's always huge when WWE puts on a pay-per-view event and you know Survivor Series is one of the big 5 that they put on throughout the year and given some of the stories heading into this installment of Survivor Series, I have high hopes for the event. I'm very excited that we're going to be celebrating 30 years of The Undertaker. Um, I'm excited that we're going to see his final farewell, you know, supposedly. I'm excited for a few of the matches, and I don't know, I just think that this is I think this is going to be a really, really good, big event. Uh, the first prediction that I want to make is the dual-branded Battle Royal on the kickoff show. I normally do not do kickoff show predictions because I don't watch the kickoff show. And just because I'm doing a prediction right here does not mean that I'm going to watch it. Um, I d- that's just a decision that I make. I'm actually kind of a busy person. And if I can decrease the length of time that I'm going to spend watching a WWE pay-per-view event, I'm going to do it. So I usually don't tune in to the kickoff show. Uh, But this kickoff show, if I'm not mistaken, just has the dual-branded Battle Royal, if I'm not mistaken. And my pick to win that is Lars Sullivan. I think that Lars is back, hopefully, for the long haul. I think that they think very highly of Lars, and I think the incredible promos that we got from him uh, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks in a row, um, were big signs that he's going to get a hefty, hefty push. Now, winning a battle royal on a kickoff show is, is not anything special, If it was, they would put it on the main card and they would actually build it up to a point where we give a damn about it. But it is a win in the books. And I think that Lars Sullivan's going to take this. I think the timing is right. I think the setting is 
right, and I just I see Lars Sullivan winning this battle royal. Uh, with that being said, we're going to move on to the main card, and the first match that I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about these matches in order, I guess, of how much I care about them. So I'm going to work my way from the match that I care the least about to the match that I care the most about. Um, with that being said, the first match is going to be Sasha Banks versus Asuka. Uh, the Raw Women's Champion versus the SmackDown Women's Champion. The rivalry between these two is deep. Uh, as we all know, Asuka took the title from Sasha Banks earlier this year, and she has held the title ever since. And their rivalry was very, very deep and very, very personal. And I think that here at Survivor Series, the rivalry is going to come to an end. But I don't think it's going to come to an end in solidified fashion. I think that this feud is going to come to an end so we can move straight into another feud for one of them. And I think that feud is for Sasha Banks. Um, my prediction for this match is that Carmella is going to interfere in some way or form and cause Sasha Banks to get the loss. Asuka wins, unknowingly or knowingly, and Asuka leaves this scenario, and we have Sasha Banks and Carmella going into a feud for the next couple of months. Um, I need to see Asuka do something after this, however. I need to see Asuka move on to someone else. Personally, the night... Everybody knows that the episode of Raw that comes after a WWE pay-per-view event is usually, like, popping off. And I think that someone from NXT is going to pop up and insert herself into the title picture on Monday Night Raw. And I think that person is Rhea Ripley. I think Rhea Ripley is about to leave NXT and come up to the main roster, in quotations. I don't know why we some of us still say that, because it's not the main roster anymore. It's like a secondary brand. I think we are going to see Rhea Ripley move from NXT to Monday Night Raw, and I think she's going to be inserted into the title picture with Asuka. And I think at some point Rhea Ripley is going to like steal the show. Rhea Ripley is... I have a lot of favorite performers in the WWE. I have a lot of people that I think highly of. I have a lot of people that I enjoy. But Rhea Ripley might be my favorite female competitor in the entire company. I think she is a legitimate superstar. And I think she is going to go to gigantic places in the company. And I think that's all going to start the Raw after Survivor Series. Um, but as for Survivor Series, Asuka wins this match because Carmella interfere, interferes and causes the loss for Sasha Banks. And we go into Carmella and Sasha land where they're going to yell at each other. And who knows, maybe Carmella will become the SmackDown Women's Champion. We'll just have to wait and see. Moving on to the next match, I'm going to go with uh, Bobby Lashley versus Sami Zayn. It is the United States Champion versus the Intercontinental Champion. This one's a bit tough because I think Bobby Lashley is going into this event looking like an absolute monster, um, mainly because of the Hurt Business. The Hurt Business has been looking so strong the past little bit, and 
the reason it's tough is because Sami Zayn is also looking very good going into this. He's not looking strong. He's not looking like a threat, but he's going into Survivor Series looking like that weaselly heel that will do whatever he can to get a victory. Um, I think his victory over AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy in that ladder match at TLC was insane. It was insanely good. Probably like one of the best endings I've ever seen to a ladder match in my entire life. So, Sammy's going into this completely witty and maybe afraid of Bobby Lashley, but I think Sammy thinks that he's smarter and personally, I think what we're going to see in this match is we're going to see Sammy get the win. I think we're going to see Sammy win this match in the dirtiest way that he possibly can. I think he's going to cheat I think he's going to defy the odds <laughs> wrongly and get the win. I think Bobby Lashley can afford to lose. I know that the Hurt Business is doing very well, and I know that they hold them and everybody in the Hurt Business to a very high regard right now, but I think Sammy should win this just for the sake of them building him up to be more and more annoying. Because the more annoying and the more hillish Sami Zayn gets, the better the reaction is going to be when someone comes along and knocks him off his high horse. And I think him getting a dirty win over Bobby Lashley will do that. Um, Yeah, that's it. Sami Zayn takes this one. Let's move on to the next match, which is the women's Survivor Series match. Uh, on Team Raw, we have... Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, the women's tag team champions. Uh, we have Peyton Royce, Lacey Evans, and Lana. And then on the other side of the ring, we have Team SmackDown, which is Bianca Belair, Ruby Riot, and Liv Morgan, the Riot Squad, Natalia, and Bayley. Um, I am excited for this match for one reason and one reason only, and that is the fact that I am officially on the Lana train as we soar into Survivor Series. For the past nine weeks, Lana has been bullied, treated like absolute dog shit, and just so much sympathy has been built up for her inside of me. And what I want to happen is I want Lana to defy the odds. And I want Lana to go into this looking so weak and so frail and then come out looking like a monster. What I want is... Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler to be bewildered by the fact that Lana is who got the win for their team. Now, we all know the history of Survivor Series. It seems like SmackDown always does better. If I remember correctly, it was either last year or the year before, SmackDown pretty much had like a clean sweep, if I'm not mistaken. I think this year, Raw is going to be may be the highlight of things. And I think this is probably going to be the match where that's noted. Because in my opinion, they're building up Lana for a reason. They've made us feel so bad for Lana that, in my opinion, it will not make sense if they do something to make her look bad at this event. Okay, because there is a part of me, and this, is, this could also happen. I had two thoughts. Option A... Lana is the first one to get eliminated from Team Raw 
As a matter of fact, I'll further that by saying that Lana is the first person who gets eliminated in this match, period. And then she is literally laughed out of the ring and laughed out of the Thunderdome by Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, and maybe all of them. That, in my opinion, would be the incorrect route to go. And that will show me that you're literally just punishing her for some reason that none of us really know. Or, some of us think we know, but we don't really. (laughs) And then you have option B, which, in my opinion, is the way that it should go. And I think that that's Lana outlasting Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler at the minimum. She either outlasts the two of them so she can rub it in their face, or she somehow gets the victory for Team Raw, and then she's like, no, 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 you didn't support me this entire time. You picked on me this entire time. I'm the one who won for Team Raw. Get out of my face. That's what I want to see happen. Now, from a realistic standpoint, I would like to see SmackDown take this one because I think very highly of Bianca Belair. I think very highly of Liv and Ruby. And, you know, Bailey's great and Natalia's Natalia. <laughs> but I think for the sake of story and what we've seen for the Raw women's team versus what we've seen for the SmackDown women's team, I think that this is going to revolve around Team Raw. And I would absolutely love to see that happen with Lana. So my pick for this match is the Raw women's team taking the victory. Now, after that, we're going to move on to the men's Survivor Series team. On Team Raw, we have Keith Lee, Braun Strowman, AJ Styles, Riddle, and Sheamus going up against Team SmackDown, which is composed of Kevin Owens, Otis, Jey Uso, Seth Rollins, and King Corbin. Now, this is a stacked Survivor Series match, especially Team Raw. Team Raw looks insanely strong heading into this bout. We have some of the best performers on the roster in this in this match. Keith Lee, Braun Strowman, Riddle, AJ Styles, that's insanity. You throw Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins in the mix, that's also great. And I, I cannot leave Seamus Corbin and Otis out. And Jey Uso. Because let's be honest, all of these men have been absolutely killing it. Um, Seamus has been a little on the rocks for me, but it's Seamus. You know, he's... He's been in the company for so long, and he's done some really great things, so he's just a big name. He is the one person on the team, though, that I feel is kind of out of place. Uh, it's kind of how I feel about Corbin. I think Corbin and Sheamus are the two wild cards in this scenario. Now, the whole story has been, can Raw get along? Because they haven't been able to. The Raw Men's Survivor Series team has been struggling from day one to be a cohesive unit that cannot get in that ring for longer than five minutes without wanting to punch each other in the face. Team SmackDown, on the other hand, has been pretty solid, pretty clean. I mean, there's really been no reason for them to have conflict. They haven't really highlighted that. But, you know, you have someone like Corbin and Rollins on the same team, there's probably going to be some type of conflict. And for me, it might happen... It's kind of the same way with the women's match. Because one theory I had is we've had a story develop with the Raw women's team. And we've had a story develop with the Raw men's team. And because of that, I think all the story that could potentially happen for SmackDown's teams, I think those are going to happen at the event. 
Like, if there's some type of drama for the women's team, it's going to happen at Survivor Series, and Bailey's going to be an issue. And I think that that's going to happen at the uh, during the men's match with Rollins and Corbin trying to coincide with one another. Um, I do think this match is going to be absolutely banging because of all the talent that we have. But as far as the story goes, I think because of how short the fuse is on Team Raw, I think SmackDown's going to take this one. I think that they're going to look great. I think they're going to look cohesive. But when it comes down to that moment where the final nail needs to be driven into the coffin, someone's going to want all the glory, and it's going to cause a problem. And I think because of that, SmackDown's going to take it. So my pick for this match is Team SmackDown. And that's all she wrote for that one. Now, we're moving on to the battle of the tag teams, and that is the Street Profits versus the New Day. It is the SmackDown Tag Team Champions versus the Raw Tag Team Champions, and I think that this is going to be match of the night. I think that this match is going to take the show. I think it's going to be absolutely phenomenal, and I think what we are going to get in this moment is a passing of the torch. Now, Earlier on, I spoke about the shoes that the New Day has left behind. I have stated that those shoes are gigantic. And whatever team comes along that's going to fill those shoes, they too have to be gigantic. Because not, not just anybody, not just any tag team or faction is going to be able to fill the shoes that the New Day has left. I do think that until they retire... The New Day will always be a thing in some way or form, and I, I honestly think that they will always be close to the top, if not at the top. But at some point, it is time for them to step away for a moment and let another team kind of take that spotlight as the big team in the WWE. The New Day is the most decorated tag team in WWE history, regardless of what you think. Don't get me wrong. I loved the Hardy Boys. I loved the Dudley Boys. I loved Edge and Christian. There's been some great tag teams throughout the history of this business, but the New Day has been the most decorated, most juggernaut faction that has ever existed in this company. They have killed it since their fruition. And I see that in the New Day, or the Street Profits. I think the Street Profits are big enough to fill those shoes. I don't think it's the Hurt Business. I don't think it's any other team on the roster right now. But I think that the Street Profits are 100% able and willing to take the torch and become that team that I think we all know they could be. They are just as entertaining. They're just as funny. They're just as charismatic. They're very easy to market. They can come up with some crazy stuff to do. The Street Profits have been a huge breath of fresh air in the world of tag team wrestling as far as main WWE programming goes. The New Day is incredible. And I think this match is going to blow us all away. I think it's going to be fantastic. But when it all comes to an end, who I have chosen to take this match is... Oh, it's so tough. 
the Street Profits. I think the Street Profits are going to take this match. I think that they're going to give it their absolute all, and I think at the very end of it, we're going to see this lovely moment where they shake hands in the ring, and they show mutual respect to one another, and the New Day kind of holds their hands up and says, hey, you know, these guys won, give it to them. At least that's what I want to happen. <laughs> so, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to see this go any other way. I don't want to see... I mean, I would like to see Kofi and Xavier get the win. I wouldn't be opposed to that. But I would like to see the Street Profits get the win just for the sake of it solidifying their career and their place like in the company. I don't want to see any heel turns. I don't want to see any dirty shit. I definitely don't want to see the Street Profits try to be bad, at least right now. But, yeah, I'm pulling for the Street Profits in this one. Now, we move on. To the big match, Drew McIntyre, the WWE World Heavyweight Champion, versus Roman Reigns, the Universal Heavyweight Champion. This match is going to be gigantic. Now, I stated, either earlier on or in my last episode, <laughs> that I don't know if I'm okay with Roman versus Drew at this point in time. I will always be okay with Roman versus Drew, but this just isn't Roman versus Drew. This is Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns. This is this version of these men duking it out. This is Drew McIntyre, quite possibly the most protected, coveted guy in the company right now, versus Roman Reigns, probably the most talked about man in the business at the moment. This is gigantic. This is huge. This is Galactus-sized confrontation. And given that these two men are at this version of themselves, it's really hard to think about this match happening and any type of decision making sense. If Roman wins, he leaves Survivor Series looking absolutely and utterly unstoppable. And, like, dude, I'll say he's the head of the table the head of the table and the tribal chief if he wins this match. Like, if he beats this version of Drew McIntyre, there's there's nothing I don't think he can do. But then you have Drew McIntyre, who has literally been so built up in the past few weeks that it would be weird to see him lose. Now, the good thing about this match is that it's not for a title. It's, it's just a one-on-one -on -one bout but both of these men feel so important at this moment in time that it feels like something is on the line. You know what I'm saying? Drew McIntyre lost the title to Orton, got it back in very quick fashion, got a new entrance, just went to SmackDown, kicked ass, took names, came to Raw, did the exact same thing. Like, the buildup around this man has been insane. So, like, how does one of these men lose? How does that happen? It's... It's confused, and it's, as much as it's frustrating, it's absolutely incredible that WWE has done this good of a job building up these two men, building up this story, and preparing us for this match. Kudos to WWE for making me feel this way about this bout. But, it's insanely hard to think about. Now, we always have to take into consideration that there is a looming Miz and Morrison 
Now, Miz did say that he was going to sit ringside for Randy and Drew's match on Raw, but he didn't because he was decimated by Bray Wyatt. That doesn't mean that he's not going to be at Survivor Series. There is the possibility that we are going to see the Miz cash in and take Drew's title from him. He could take Roman's title if he wanted to, but that is where things get interesting. My prediction for this match, and hear me out, <laughs> my prediction for this match is that Roman Reigns is going to win dirty. He is either going to do another low blow like he has done in the past, he is going to have Paul distract the referee while he does something nasty, but I think Roman Reigns is going to win this match in a very dirty way. That way, we, the consumer, the watcher, the spectator, can say, oh, he didn't beat him clean, so it really doesn't count. Because a, a dirty loss is never as solidified as a clean loss. And I don't think we need to see Drew McIntyre, at least this version of Drew McIntyre, lose cleanly. So I think that Roman Reigns is going to win this match in a very dirty way. But I think, when it's all said and done, I think The Miz is going to go to cash in. And I think that he is going to be stifled. The last time The Miz cashed in, he won the title. And it was a crazy moment in WWE history. It was kind of shocking. But I think this time, if The Miz cashes in, I think he'll lose. I think what we'll see is something crazy. I think we're either going to see The Miz go to cash in and Roman Reigns just being like, nah, you don't take my spotlight, and he just spears The Miz in half and then puts Drew McIntyre's body on top of his and allows, <laughs> and allows The Miz to lose that way. And then the Money in the Bank briefcase is gone. Or I think we're going to see The Miz cash in and we're going to see an angry Drew McIntyre just absolutely wreck him and cause him like to lose his cash in. Or The Miz goes to cash in and it doesn't even have the contract in it. The contract has been in Otis's little tiny lunchbox this entire time and The Miz thinks he has it. Something crazy is going to happen. I don't know what, but I'm really, really glad that WWE has created this aura around this match. But my pick is Roman Reigns winning in a very heel way and then The Miz failing to cash in in some way or form. Now, with that being said, I want to close this episode with uh, my predictions for The Undertaker's final farewell. We all know The Undertaker. Uh, quite possibly... <sighs> quite possibly the greatest all time the greatest all time the greatest of all time in the world of world wrestling entertainment um one day i plan on doing an entire episode on the undertaker and shit maybe i'll do it soon maybe that'll be like the special end of the year episode of babble mania um because i know that i sit here and i do something that's a little strange you know, I basically run through wrestling that you've watched. And you're probably wondering to yourself, you know, why, why, do, why, why do people care about what you say, Mr. Mister Bobby? Why do you think people want to listen to you babble about the wrestling that they've watched? Why do they care about your two cents and your opinions? Well, this gives me an excuse to upload a weekly podcast on the internet. Okay, this gives me something to do involving professional wrestling, which is something that I've always wanted to be involved with in some way or form. Um, right now, this is what I got. I have my laptop 
I have my Audio-Technica hand mic. I have my PreSonus AudioBox USB. I have Audacity. I have FL Studio. Okay, I watch professional wrestling on a weekly basis, multiple times. And when it goes off the air, if I'm not talking into a microphone, guess what I'm doing? I'm talking to myself about professional wrestling. So why not just plug in the microphone and just make this happen? But my goal with this podcast has always been to turn it into something greater than just this weekly discussion slash talk situation. I want to get to a point where I'm talking about news. I want to get to a point where I'm talking about, you know, topics that revolve around professional wrestling. You know, who I like, who I hate. I want to have an episode dedicated to, like, the top five matches I've ever seen in my entire life. Stuff like that. Uh, Speaking of news, I have to talk about something. Um, And this is going to be real subtle and real quick. I talked about Chelsea Green being completely unnecessary in that match last week on SmackDown, and I feel really, really terrible because she broke her arm during that match, and that's why she was not in the match for a while. So Chelsea Green is going to be out for a while with a broken arm. I apologize. Also, Zelina Vega has been fired, terminated, released from the WWE because of a beach, because of a breach of contract. Uh, basically, she was like, nah, I'm not going to stop streaming on Twitch, and I'm going to make an OnlyFans, and WWE said, okay, well, there's the door, and I think that that is messed up. I understand that you have rules that you expect people to follow, but I also completely understand that people need a life outside of professional wrestling, and people deserve to do things outside of professional wrestling, and you should not stop them from doing that. Uh, From what I've heard, Zelina Vega's OnlyFans is not inappropriate. It's basically just pictures of her in cosplay. And WWE cannot and should... Dude, it could be naked-ass pictures of her, and they should not be mad at her for that because it's her body, it's her life, and she gets to decide what to do with it. So I think it's a little bit ridiculous that WWE has done that, and it makes me wonder what's going to happen to Aleister Black. But we will talk about that at a later point in time. This podcast means a lot to me. Because professional wrestling means a lot to me. And growing up, The Undertaker literally gave me a reason to tune in to WrestleMania. That was the reason that I had my sister order these expensive-ass pay-per-view events for me. And I would go over to her house, and I would watch them. The Undertaker was the reason that happened. I'm going to be completely honest. I probably would not have tried to make that happen if The Undertaker did not exist. I watched this man take this company by storm and become the most beloved character in the history of the WWF. And if you were to look me in my eyeballs and ask me, who's your favorite wrestler of all time right now in this very moment? It would not be The Undertaker, but I would tell you that he is the greatest of all time as far as WWF goes. I've had this discussion a little bit in the past. I thoroughly believe that Chris Jericho literally might be the GOAT when it comes to professional wrestling as a whole, but when it comes to WWE, which really is like the juggernaut in the industry, The Undertaker is up there. He is the greatest character of all time. He is an absolute legend. I, You don't see The Undertaker like, pop up in discussions of negativity. The Undertaker is 
such a beloved human being in this world, and he has transcended professional wrestling. And there's been several hiccups in the last, you know, several years of his career. You know, the streak coming to an end, uh, which is another thing that I could dedicate an entire episode to. Um, his match with Goldberg in Saudi Arabia. There's been hiccups, and, and that is why I don't look at The Undertaker as the greatest of all time. But it is also why I look at The Undertaker as one of the most dedicated men to this business that we've ever seen. Because not everybody would do that. Not everybody would do that stuff. Not everybody could take the criticism that he got from those moments and walk away from it saying, ah, well, I'll be all right. The Undertaker is the Undertaker, and he will forever be etched in history when it comes to professional wrestling. And my prediction for the final farewell is that The Undertaker is going to make his way down to the ring, and he is going to give a speech, and there are going to be a lot of people crying. It is a shame that he does not get to do this in front of everybody, so please wear a fucking mask so wrestling can get back to normal, please and thank you. I digress. It is a shame that The Undertaker does not get to do this in front of, you know, twenty to 30,000 people. But he gets to do it in front of the entire world. And I think he's going to come down to that ring. He's going to give a speech. A lot of us are going to get emotional. Some of us might even cry. And it's going to be absolutely lovely. And I think on his way out, he is going to be attacked by The Fiend. Because the fiend does not forget. We all remember what happened at WrestleMania. We all remember that first WrestleMania after The Undertaker, you know, appeared no longer to be the dead man. We all remember that match with Bray Wyatt. And personally, I remember the build up to that match being absolutely phenomenal. I remember thinking to myself, man, if WWE were to book this correctly, we could have a passing of the torch moment. We could have the old scary thing passing a torch to the new scary thing. And I think that because of this new Bray Wyatt gimmick, because of how this gimmick plays out, and because of what The Fiend focuses on, I think we are going to see The Fiend do something to The Undertaker. He will appear, he will put him down, and that'll be it. And I know, I know that that's a bold statement because it's The Undertaker. They probably don't want that to happen. They probably do not want The Undertaker's final farewell to be interrupted by someone like Bray Wyatt and The Fiend. But for the sake of story, this is the last chance. The Fiend has taken out everybody that Bray Wyatt was taken out by. Finn Balor, Seth Rollins. Braun Strowman, this, the list goes on and on and on, but there's one person that Bray Wyatt had a feud with, and he's about to be gone forever, and that's The Undertaker. This is the last chance The Fiend has to do something to enact revenge on him for what happened at that WrestleMania, and that's my prediction for The Undertaker's final farewell, and that is this episode of Babblemania. I will be streaming and doing a live reaction to this event over on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash youngfacialhair. The link will be in the description of this episode. Click on it. Also, 
follow me on Instagram, at Babblemania. I post memes from time to time. I make videos. I post episode clips. It's fun. But, as always, thank you for listening to this installment of Babblemania, and I will catch you guys on the flip side. Undertaker forever. Rest in peace. Smooches. Babbling. Babbling. Let's get to babbling. It's all about some wrestling. Babbling. Babbling. Let's get to babbling. It's all about some wrestling.